0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle set to the top of the pattern. Now Spielman in motion to the near side. Rolling right as McCaffrey. Throws it toward the end zone. Wide open is Noah. Makes a catch. And it is a push Nebraska. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. And who's ready to hear some Husker football? My goodness, it has been a long, long time. Almost 11 months since Husker football has taken the field. That's going to change on Saturday as the Big Red gets set to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes. Finally, a game week. Welcome. Sports Hotline here on a Monday night. Hope you had a good weekend. And here we go. The next nine weekends will be filled with Big Ten football. Hopefully, Nebraska and all the teams get a chance to play all of those games uh, that you don't have any canceled. That's certainly been an issue around college football. And I'll say this, Ben McLaughlin, college football needs the Big Ten. I mean, when you flip on the Big Fox game this past Saturday at 11 a.m., which is the game coming out of their big pregame show, and it's Kansas, West Virginia, yikes, you got you got issues. I mean, come on, let's go.
1: Yeah, uh, pretty pretty hard to – to blow a shotgun through the hole of, of the college football um, when you take away one of the Power Five conferences, right? I mean, just one conference, well, I guess two with Pac-12, or they, have, they haven't gone yet either. We're just three of the five conferences. It's, it's not hard to get stale quickly
0: with the college football slate. So, yeah, glad the Big Ten's back. Needs it. College football needs it. And – They're going to get it, and then in a couple weeks, you're going to be able to add the Pac-12 into the mix as well, and you know that the TV networks are happy because they've been scraping. I mean, this past weekend, the Big 12 only had two games scheduled, the one that I mentioned, the Kansas-West Virginia game. Then they had Oklahoma State-Bader for the night game that was supposed to be primetime on ABC. That got canceled because of Bader's having issues with COVID. So the Big 12 played one game this week. Now you had the SEC, you had the, the Titans go at it Saturday night in Alabama, Georgia, and that atmosphere was lit. And I know that place wasn't even a third full, but that atmosphere had me jacked up. I was jumping around in my basement ready to go running out of the field watching the, the opening part of that. Uh, so that was pretty cool to see. Uh, Alabama looked really good. I know we'll talk more about this coming up in the weekend rewind in hour number three. But, uh, yeah, the college football needs the Big Ten, and it's back starting Friday night with Illinois at Wisconsin, and the Huskers and the Buckeyes get Saturday going with that 11 o'clock game. Well, the the, uh, drama is over as far as it goes to the quarterback position. Scott Frost saying, not going to talk a lot about depth charts, but Adrian Martinez is our quarterback. Surprised that all been with that this is the way that it fell out?
1: No, I'm not surprised. Um, I, I continually be surprised, though, at, at the staff's inability to separate the two, not just on field, but even, even when they're asked about them, just with their voice. It's like they get asked about Luke, and the answer is about Luke and Adrian. They get asked about Adrian, and the answer is with Adrian and Luke. It's like we can't get uh, – a pulse on either one as an individual. I guess the only thing that we're going to be able to tell to separate them is with our own eyes, you know, with Adrian out there on Saturday. And, uh, you know, if Luke's able to get, get some snaps, then, then we can start to tell some things by ourselves. But we all know that practice goes a long way in determining, you know, who's a starter for any position, quarterback included. But it sounds like those that's an ongoing battle between the two of them, and they're going to continue um, – can to you continue to battle it out? But no, I can't say I'm shocked that Adrian's getting the first snap.
0: Yeah, let, let's go there. Do you do you anticipate it's just a Monday? But this is what we do, right? Do you anticipate that McCaffrey gets snaps at quarterback? I, and I'll go first. Give you time to think about it. I think we do. I think we see him get a series here and there during the game. I think. I just think he's too good of a weapon to not get snaps in a game.
1: Yeah, I. Th- I mean. As the coaches are saying in their own words, you know, you you want the you want the guys out there that are going to be the best chance to win. And if one of them's struggling, or, you know, in this case, Adrian, if he's struggling and they need a spark or a jolt, it wouldn't shock me if Luke gets a chance to go in there. Or, you know, if there's a bad turnover or whatever it is, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see Luke out there. It wouldn't surprise me to see Luke start a game here in the next four or five games. It would, that, that wouldn't shock me either. So I don't think this is going to be a one- quarterback show for all nine games. I think we are going to see a decent amount of Luke McCaffrey at quarterback. I just can't tell you when that's going to be.
0: Yeah. Well, that was I don't know that there was a ton of other things that were newsworthy out of the press conference today, and we're going to hear some clips from the head coach coming up in a few minutes as he did, start kind of the Monday routine of players meeting with the media and then the head coach all via Zoom. None of this is in person anymore. I mean, that that ship has sailed. The one thing that struck me was he got a question, Ben, about how concerned is he that they're not going to get some of these games in because of what's happening around the country. He was really confident answering that question, wasn't he? About we we're pretty we feel good about the procedures we have. We feel like we're going to be able to get this taken care of and we're going to be just fine this thing he was and maybe that's the way you have to attack it but he was really confident that, that they think they can get this done and done right and get them play be ready to play each and every week i mean to me that says they've had good results
1: with the testing protocols so yep. far now obviously that can change but you know it seems to me like the staff doesn't have any reason to believe otherwise so i think um I think it's important to have that mindset, but I also think it's important to not be naive to the fact that, you know, three or whatever positive tests to keep them three or whatever positive tests and keep the spread happening. And I think the protocols in place will do a good
0: job keeping that spread. Hope he's right because I know Husker fans are anxious to see these and want to get this thing uh, cranked up again on Saturday with Ohio State. We also learned today that the Wisconsin game, the home opener for the Big Red on the 31st Halloween, by the way, will be a 2.30 kickoff on FS1 for the TV broadcast of that. So 11 a.m. for week one, 2.30 for week two for the Cornhuskers. That's the way it's going to be is they're going to pick these games 12 days out. And so that's why just count on it every Monday. You're going to find out about the following Saturday. So we've learned that. You know, now Nebraska's game on the 31st is at 2.30. A lot of people hoping to get some plans made. And so uh, I had a couple of people reach out to me over the weekend. What time's the Wisconsin game? You got to wait till Monday. That's when it's going to come down the pike. I don't know why it has to be that way, but you kind of feel like couldn't they pick the first three or four weeks before teams get settled in and we kind of see what games are going to have a big impact on standings and that type of thing, but... Hey, the Big Ten's kind of doing their own thing right now. So we did find that out today, 2.30 for the Wisconsin game, coming up on the 31st of October. Well, the Huskers now know they're into a game week. You had a chance to kind of check in with a couple of the players today. They've got to be just on cloud nine to finally get through the uncertainty of the season and and then the camp, which really began in late September, to know now that there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and there is a game coming up. I think they're feeling how the rest of us are feeling, except
1: to to a much more severe um degree because they're the ones putting in the work every single day. So it's coaches too. I, I can just I can I can imagine how they're feeling in terms of excitement just to get this thing going. So yeah, I know they're excited and Um, I mean, we talk about the dog days of fall camp. I think that's probably amplified by a couple hundred amplifications right now because (laughs) of the circumstances we've been given since March. But, yeah, I
0: know they're ready, and I know we're all ready, too. No depth chart today. Surprised by that? I mean, it kind of seems like it's been becoming a bit of a trend to hold that close to your vest through week week one anyway, and then maybe after somebody sees you play, it's not really a big secret who's going to be out there at those various positions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Secrecy is, is, you know, it can be a, a good thing to have on your on your side. Um, I think anybody that covers the team, to to a, you know, full extent, could probably piece together what ninety percent of a depth chart could potentially look like based on who the captains are, what the assistants have been saying about each individual. Uh, returning experience, all those things um, can lead you to probably. If you're given a 11, 11 man side on offense and defense, if you're paying attention, you should probably be able to fill. I don't know, 90 percent of those spots to to a fair, and that's not just relative to this year. That's any year. I yeah. mean, some years, some years it might be higher, closer to 100 percent. Some years might be lower, closer to 80 percent. But I'm not anticipating seeing any big shocks on the depth chart just because they haven't released one. I think it's probably more so of we don't have to, so why
0: would we type mentality. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Um, Again, the numbers, you want to be a part of the program. Phone lines are open, 531-500-4686. That can be either a phone call or a text, text on our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Cellular Connecting Husker Nation. Just in on the text line, do you envision a scenario where both quarterbacks are on the field at the same time? McCaffrey, Martinez. We did see that last year in the Iowa game where they flipped it out to Luke in the flat, and he made a beautiful throw into the end zone for a touchdown. For me, that's an easy answer. Yeah, I do. I think they're going to get creative when you have two guys like this to try to get them involved in things. And obviously, when you see both of them out there at the same time, Ben as a defensive coordinator, you're going to cringe a little bit. You're like, okay, what do I want to be in here? What what do they got cooked up for this play? But absolutely, I think I could envision both those guys being on the field at the same time. Well, we've seen it. I mean, we've seen it last year with Iowa. We've seen
1: it this year in the NFL, this week even with the Philadelphia Eagles with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. I think as a defensive coordinator, you think a couple things. Number one, um, you're probably thinking, okay, that's one less position player on the field, so this is likely a, a trick play in some capacity. So I think it automatically has the defense, if nothing else, thinking a little bit more Um, I don't, you know, and maybe change the mindset of of a couple of those players. But I also think that the coaching staff is going to do everything that they can, even if it's just for two or three plays. Maybe it's a whole series. Maybe it's until Ohio State. And the only reason I say Ohio State is because they're the first team that we play. We proved that they proved that they can stop it last year. I'm going to point to last year's game. Nebraska runs out. And an eye formation, and they give the ball to Diedrich Mills in the fullback, and they're yeah. running some option, and they're running some wingbacks, and they're running some things that we saw the Huskers in the mid 90s. So I do anticipate there to be wrinkles. The staff has proven time and time again, no matter what game you watch last year, you can point to, you know, as little as two or three plays to as many as an entire drive or two of where they're they're getting creative and using their minds to, um maybe trump the talent card a little bit so to speak you know we we can't beat you man on man but we can out scheme you we can do some other things that can move the ball that seems to be the case in like every movie right every sports movie the 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 story of this little this little juggernaut this little team against a juggernaut where they're outmanned and you know they get creative with all these different plays if we can't beat you man on man we're going to do other things to try and move the ball and score so I would anticipate to see a handful of wrinkles from this offensive staff against Ohio State just because number one, the talent issue, but number two, they've had how many months to prepare and put stuff in. So right. I think I, I would if this is a, a, a straightforward called game
0: for 60 minutes, I would be very shocked. I agree. 531, 54686. We're back to play some clips from the head football coach's press conference from earlier today. That and a lot more coming up next callers and guests into the show dial us up on our sports on the hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto family bringing you more choices in brands, locations and service, experience the difference, purchase with confidence this is Woodhouse back to the Monday routine of a press conference coming up and the head coach met with the media today for about 20 minutes or so and got into a lot of different topics he was asked is it good to finally have football back and to look forward to it
2: I'm excited it's here. There, there's been a lot of times when we thought we were fighting a losing battle to get football, to have football. We didn't know if we were practicing for a reason or not, if we were ever going to play, or if we were just out there practicing for for nothing, with nothing to look forward to. Um, it's been a battle. Like I just uh, said, I think Ohio State, it's probably the ones that led the battle. We've certainly been in lockstep with them to try to get football back. Um, so I'm going to root for them in every single game except this first one uh, because I'm, I'm uh, grateful to them for um, going shoulder and shoulder and fighting to get this back. Uh, our kids are excited to play. We're excited to play. There's There's been a lot of moments where I didn't think we'd get here. Uh, but now that we're here, uh, I think playing football was the right thing to do, and, and we're excited to be a part of it. We've seen all
0: kinds of, of stuff. Of different levels of play for the last six weeks, we've seen some teams that didn't look like they were ready to go. Week one, it was a lot of upsets, particularly in the Big 12 conference that first week. Uh, you saw a Navy team just not ready to even hit when they opened the season against BYU. So the head coach was asked, what do you expect to see as far as level of play on Saturday?
2: You know, it's hard for me to say. Uh, I, I, I got a lot of confidence in the level of play in this league. Um, I think there's really good teams, really good coaches. So I don't have any doubt that people will be prepared and ready to go. Uh, You know, it kind of seems nationally like people are scoring more points. Maybe that's because we've had more practices to get timing on offense and less time to hit on defense. I don't know. Um, But I I expect uh, Ohio State to be ready. Um, We're going to be as ready as I can make these guys. And um, I expect it to be a good play on both sides of the ball.
0: Ben, a lot of times opening games of seasons, it's like a box of chocolates, to quote the great Forrest Gump. But in this case, it, I think it's even been more of a wide range across the country, as you've kind of seen teams that maybe coasted some during the summer months and some that put the pedal to the metal. I think these are probably two programs that, that kept kept after it pretty much during the, the summer months.
1: Yeah, well, if you think that this offseason – hasn't had an impact on football teams, good, bad, or somewhere in the middle, you're off your rocker. I mean, there has definitely been um, a change or a difference in how teams approach the season, how teams approach, particularly the first week, just because everything's been so different and this has been crazy and there's not that structure, there's not that blueprint, there's not that plan that staffs spend years building to get ready for a season yeah, this is this is going to be crazy. The, I mean, and and the other thing about it is, uh, a lot of times for a season you're preparing for a marathon. This season it seems like you're preparing for a dead sprint—nine games in nine weeks. So I, I don't know. I I get almost overwhelmed thinking about what all this staff had to plan for this year, and we'll get into some of that in terms of planning and preparation here in a little bit, but. You know, you think about all the conversations and side conversations that had to be had within coaches' offices um, for protocols, for plans, for what ifs. It's, it's While trying to get a team ready seems, seems utterly nuts to me that, that that's where we're at. And, uh, and then on top of
0: that, get a team ready to play football. That's, that's asking a lot. So speaking of that, improvement, what the coach was asked, where have you seen improvement with your team and you personally as a coach? Here was his response.
2: There's been a lot of things that have happened this year that every coach in the country's had to deal with that they didn't expect to deal with. Um, I think we've done a good job of managing situations that you didn't expect. and um, In general, I think our coaching staff does a good job when there's pressure on them and we have to make quick decisions uh, it's kind of been that way all year. I feel like we have gotten better uh, even with a lot of circumstances that might not lead you to have the opportunity to get better. So um I think our coaching staff's done a good job with that. Um, this is a process that always has been since I came here. Uh, I've seen a lot of improvement in a lot of different position groups and and we're just going to keep keep getting better and I uh, hope that's enough to win some football games.
0: Well, let's talk about this football game. It's Ohio State. Here was the coach with his thoughts about opening the season against the top five Buckeyes.
2: Um, no, I don't think it was a coincidence. Uh, <laughs> but I, we're grateful to Ohio State. Um, you know, it, It's strange where you find allies in certain things, and I think we had an ally in Ohio State to try to get the season played. I don't think it would have got done without Dr. Borchers there, without uh, Ryan Day continuing to push it, Gene Smith continuing to push it. Uh, we certainly fought for it, too. We fought because we thought it was the right thing to do, to have football. Um, our kids wanted to play. We thought we could do it in a safe manner. Um, we weren't satisfied with the decision to not play and uh, kept trying to find opportunities to find a way to get it done. And, um, and we're grateful to Ohio State for having done the same thing. Um, now, it's two teams that I think have wanted to play all along, uh, playing each other in the... In the first game, Uh, we got a ton of respect for them. I said after last season, uh, that was one of the best college football teams that I've been on a field with. Uh, I think they were one of the best teams in the country and could have easily won everything last year. Um, That being said, I thought we did a really good job of keeping the game close uh, last year for about five minutes.
0: Ben, he was very complimentary, both of the Buckeyes, with with what they do on the field and how good they are, but also – not only in this clip, but he referenced how appreciative Nebraska is of the Buckeyes jumping in there and fighting to get this season done. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it. there weren't
1: very many schools in the league that were forward-thinking. And we all know Nebraska took a lot of criticism from national people about their stance on the season and their stance of wanting to play. And and like like the analogy I used before, it's almost like, You know, you've got a teacher that's doing things incorrectly, and you've got a bunch of students that say we're going to, you know, stand up to the teacher and say, this is what we believe, even though you may not be popular and you may get punished in some way, or the same way with an employer. You have a boss that you believe aren't doing things right, and you've got a bunch of employers before a meeting saying, okay, we're going to stick together. And, you know, you've got one one employee standing up to the boss and then everyone else kind of looks down at you and sits on their hands. Nebraska was the first one to raise their voice. And I think that that analogy proved true. There was a lot of public shaming. There was a lot of get in your place, stay in your lane type chatter. That was until Ohio State, Penn State, but even more so Ohio State stood up and said, we're with Nebraska. This is what we think. And not only just what we think, but. We've got medical personnel, in this case, Dr. Borchers, that are going to do everything they can to put a plan together to prove that we can get this done.
0: All right. Um, It was in our ticker to lead off the hour, Ben, and I've talked about it as well. There was an announcement about who will start the game at quarterback during this press conference, and it is Adrian Martinez. The coach was asked what separated Adrian from Luke when you evaluated who would be the guy getting the first snaps.
2: First, let me say I don't know how much separation there is. Uh, I think we have two first-string quarterbacks. Uh, that's the way we feel about them. Um, and you know, I, I really believe if Luke would have been the one that had already been playing, and and we would have had the same camp, it'd probably be Luke. Um, they they both had uh, tremendous camps, and and we see ourselves as having luxury of having two starters.
0: If there's been something consistent, Ben, over the last three weeks, it's been that. And you mentioned it in the opening segment of the show. It's like they don't mention one without mentioning the other. And there's another case of that right there.
1: Yeah, I mean it's hard to it's hard to find that. It's hard to to find them separating the two and it's clear it's clear by now that that's a conscious thing. That they're you know it it's this isn't accidental or, or unintentional. I think they truly, you know, feel that way, and they and they want both guys to feel that way. They don't want, they don't want, in this case, Luke to feel like he lost the job and he's the number two. When if you, I mean, it's like when you break up the girlfriend, right? It's not you, it's me. You don't want to be told that, right? You you want to be told uh, something else. And I, you know, I think this is this is going to help Luke in a lot of areas. Number one, to know that his work didn't go to waste. That his work really did make up substantial ground at catching a starting quarterback that we weren't sure was ever going to be caught uh you know this this was supposed to be a slam dunk for your starter here especially after his freshman season there was talks of him being the greatest quarterback nebraska's ever had by some um and i also want that think that they want luke to feel like you know he needs to stay involved and stay ready because you know, if thing, it's not even an injury situation this year like it was last year. I'm, we're talking if play isn't at the at the level that it needs to be, you're going to be asked to go in there and move the offense. So I think all three of those things are contributing to that.
0: All right, uh, some other notes from the press conference today. We we've learned just from various people over the last few weeks that Luke Reimer and Cade Warner have been put on scholarship. The coach was asked, can he confirm that with those two? And are there is there anybody else? Any other walk ons that are
2: going on scholarship? Yeah, we got uh, three that I can announce right now. I think everybody was aware of uh, Luke Reimer getting put on scholarship. Um, we put Cade Warner on scholarship uh, and Damian Jackson on scholarship. We have one more that we're probably going to award before the fall's over. Um, probably even before uh, the first game here. But those three have definitely earned it. Um, all three have been good leaders and good teammates for us. Uh, Luke's done some great things on the field. Damien's turned himself into a player that uh, could help us on the field as well as off and, and worked his butt off to get there. Um, and Cade he was voted captain and, and does a good job for us in practice and on, in games. So uh, those guys are very deserving, and we're glad to reward them.
0: Ben, I, I could almost see Damien Jackson being a captain at some point. Even though he doesn't play a whole lot, it seems like he is a major factor whether it's in the weight room, whether it's conditioning, in the film study room, wherever it is. seems like he is a guy that everybody kind of follows. I'm remembering back to when the staff was first on
1: campus and they were doing weight training, and Damian Jackson, uh, I believe I was talking to Luke Gifford. I think it was Giff in the summertime, and I asked him about who was standing out in terms of, the team and forging the team together because you remember it was GIF. It was Gerald Foster. It was Mick Stoltenberg. Those were kind of the ringleaders. But the first name out of his mouth was Damian Jackson. Hmm. And I had to do a double take. I was like, Damian Jack? who's Damian Jackson. And I was like, Oh my God, the Damian Jackson. Like I was like, Hey, for like five seconds, I was tripped up on who Damian Jackson was. And then it just <laughs> clicked to me. I'm like, this isn't somebody that you typically hear in the same conversation. As a Mick Stoltenberg or as a Gerald Foster or as a Luke Gifford, as as the captains, that's not a name that you typically hear. And he was the one in the workouts, um, getting everybody fired up, juiced up, bringing the energy, getting guys assembled, making those voluntary workouts not so voluntary, holding guys accountable. He was one of the first ones that kind of provided that, and I won't ever forget. I had that con- when when Luke Gifford made that comment to me about that and. And moving forward, every time I see him, I think about that. I've seen him on the field a few times. His past is well documented. And, and in terms of value, he, he's not going to win you any all-conference awards, but he's maybe, uh, in terms of value, a top 10 value in terms of anybody on this team of what he brings off the field and, and developing that culture and attitude.
0: The uh, coach was asked, is anybody opting out for the year? He says, nope, nobody's opting out, and nobody's uh, asked to go in the transfer portal since they started practice on September the 30th. He did confirm that Javen Wright is out for the year. Uh, Javen had been moved from safety to outside linebacker, so there are two defenders that are out for the year, Braxton Clark, who uh, that came out a couple of weeks ago, and now Javen Wright. And the uh, coach said it's too two because He said Javen was really playing well. Uh, when he got hurt and making that transition. Also, it sounds like, uh, and this came up the other night when, when we had Eric Chenander on, that Nick Henrich is doing some work at outside linebacker, and that may be because of the injury to Javen Wright that they decided to get Nick Henrich working a little bit on the, on the outside. So those are some of the notes from the press conference today. Time now for the weekly breakdown.
3: What a memorable first game at home in the Big Ten Conference.
0: With color analyst and former national champion.
3: All the games played for this historic program. All the great rushing days that we've seen over the years and way beyond my lifetime. And we've seen the best one here today against the top ten team.
0: It's Mondays with Matt Davison on Sports Nightly.
3: Well, finally
0: a game week. Did you ever think we would get to this point?
3: Boy, there was a long time in the offseason, Greg, where it didn't look good. Um, you know, a lot of work went into it. Ohio State and Nebraska were probably the two teams that put the most into it, actually, and we have to play each other here in the first week. So, you know, I'm just really excited for our players. I'm excited for our coaching staff, and I'm excited for our fans. You know, this has uh, been a trying six or seven or eight months for, for everyone around the world. and and. Um, you know, we found a way to, to play. And look, it's just a football game, it's just a football season, but uh, it's important to our, to our players, to our state, to our community, uh, to get out there on the field and, and uh, give everybody something to rally around. So, you know, we're excited. We've been watching other teams play around the country for a few weeks now, and it's gonna be finally, you know, fun to see our guys out there competing and, and uh, watch Big Ten football
0: been three three and a half weeks since the pads went on. What have you what have you seen from this group?
3: Well it's a long stretch to go without having pads. We, we only got two spring ball practices in and neither of those were in pads. So yeah it's been since Iowa last November that we had pads on. And so you know we, we eased them into it a little bit but we knew we had to get them ready so there was kind of a fine line between you know and uh, maybe hitting too much and then not hitting enough. So I think our coaching staff did a great job uh, getting the guys ready physically to play and. And, you know, you worry about bad technique and things like that when you go to tackle, when you haven't done it in so long. And I thought our players did a good job of being physical, being smart, and, uh, you know, really working on their technique so that, so you can do the things you need to do in pads. It's probably the longest time they've gone in their lives without having pads on since they started playing football. And so, you know, getting them back in the rhythm of that has, has been a challenge, but I think they've done a good job and, and the team seems physically ready to go.
0: Coach Frost announced earlier today that Adrian will start the game, but said he really looks at it like having two starting quarterbacks. What have you viewed of those two guys, and what kind of camp have they both had?
3: Well, they've both done a great job. We have we have a great quarterback room, period. A whole bunch of really good guys in there and smart kids that, that really work hard. And Luke and Adrian are, are you know at the top of that that food chain in that room those those guys work harder than anybody they're they're great leaders on the team um they've both done a really good job it just happens to be that position where you know gets a lot of attention there's a bunch of positions where it's kind of one a one b or both guys could start it's just since uh, football began it seems like foot uh, the quarterback position is the one that gets the most attention and and so, yeah, you have a lot of experience with Adrian. Uh, and Luke has, has just done a great job progressing since he got on campus and really closed the gap. And I think Coach Frost said it best that we have two guys we feel really good about. And, and so it's a, it's a good place to be where you have two guys at that, at that position. Might be the most important position, obviously. And you have a couple of them you believe in, the team believes in, can go out and get it done.
0: Again, we're visiting Matt Davison, our first Mondays with Matt of the football season. Huskers set to take on Ohio State on Saturday. One of the comments that caught my attention the most maybe the last couple of weeks was made by Matt Lubick, the new offensive coordinator, where he said he thinks that the offensive line might be the strength of his football team. What have you seen from that group? And those are some pretty big words and, and words that make Husker fans happy.
3: Yeah, I mean, you ask any football team if they said, hey, the, your best unit is your offensive line, that makes you a pretty good football team or it's a good place to start anyway. And I, we have a lot of experience up front there. And I, obviously that helps. Forniak and Hymas have played, played a ton of football. Bo Wilson has played a lot of football. Um, Cam Jurgens has as well and and then you throw in the guys that have played a bunch behind those guys, too so we have a lot of experience back up front and Guys that have been through Big Ten football in the past and understand how physically demanding it is and and so I think it's a good place to start obviously we have We have good size up front and guys that have played a lot of snaps together And so the communication has been good. They understand the offense and I think Coach Lubick has done a good job since he got here of getting everybody on the same page and and uh, you know running things on the offensive end when, when the head coach is busy doing things at times. And so, you know, he he's very organized and detailed, and I think he's done a good job working with the other coaches and getting the offense going and. And obviously, if you can't block anybody up front, it's going to be hard to move the football. So, you know, we're pretty excited about the offensive line. Hopefully, they stay healthy and, and uh, have a good season.
0: Matt, how about that other side of the football? I mean, last year the two Davis twins and Darian Daniels manned a lot of that. All three of them are now active and in, in the NFL, playing for different franchises. How about the defensive front? What kind of battles have you have you witnessed between them and that good offensive line?
3: Yeah, it's been really physical up front in practice and I think that's that's going to help us come Saturday and, and prepare us for the rest of the fall. But we have some young guys that have that have come on well on the defensive line. Ty Robinson is a guy that has jumped out uh, early on in his career here and done a really good job. Uh, Keem Green is a big body up front. Of course you have uh Stille, who's played a ton of football and, and is a great leader for us. Um, uh, Deontre Thomas, um, I mentioned Keem Green, you know, there's Casey Rogers, the young guy that's, that's playing well. I'm probably forgetting some here, but, uh, you know, defensively, I think we have a lot of guys we can rotate in. Um, um, so I, I think, I think it's going to be a good group for us.
0: Saw you uh, retweet over the weekend the, the Husker captains. Uh, that announcement came down on Saturday. What do you make of those five guys and uh, their leadership ability on this team?
3: Well, the players, you know, did a good job of picking guys that have worked hard in this in this program and have put themselves in a position to to be great leaders for us. And they're not just great leaders on the field, but off as well. Um, really proud of Cade Warner and how, how far he's come in his career and you know, if he wants to coach someday, he's gonna be a great coach. Um Adrian obviously was a captain a year ago and, and has earned his right to be a captain again this year and Matt Forniok as well. So on the offensive side you have a lot of experience in leadership as well. And then on defense, just two really high character guys that that bring it every day in DiCaprio Boodle and Colin Miller. And um you know, I'm just proud of those guys and the way that they've gotten better over their time here at Nebraska. And uh, they've earned the right to be captains. So, you know, it's going to be a strange year. They can't all go out there for the coin toss and all of that stuff. But there's no question in practice that those are the guys leading the way for this program. And, and we're in good hands in that way.
0: What's the deal with all the facial hair right now? I mean, Ryan Ryan Held looks like Fonzie with those sideburns. You got Cade Warner's mustache. I mean, what's is there not a barber in, in town yeah, anymore? It, what's the deal? It's
3: terrible. It's like everybody everybody said during COVID, oh, I'm not going to get a haircut. I'm not going to take care of myself. And then, even when places open back up, they still don't go see them. So, <laughs> I don't know. It's, a, it's um, I've I've gotten on Held about that a few times too. Cade Cade's actually looks good. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that, that thing looks pretty good. And I don't know that I could grow it. I know I can't grow hair on my head, but I could probably grow a little facial hair if I wanted to. I just don't, I just don't think it's for me. But, yeah, it's, there's a lot going on on this team right now when it comes to facial hair and weird hairdos. It's
0: going to be bizarre, isn't it, Saturday? I, I keep trying to picture looking out of our booth at empty seats in that gigantic stadium. It's going to be odd, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it's going to be really weird. I mean, warm-ups is going to be weird. Um, you know, just the vibe in the stadium. You're, the teams that do a good job of manufacturing their own, their own energy and and all of that are going to be in better shape, I think. We we've practiced in our stadium plenty, and it's obviously empty during practice, and you try to do the crowd noise and music and whatever, but it, it's just going to be different, for sure. And Uh, You and I will be up a mile in the air calling this thing. And, and, you know, I've I've thought the same thing many times over the last few weeks about how strange it's going to be. But the main thing is we're playing, and there's going to be millions of people watching on TV. And even though you don't have the crowd there, it's it's still going to be exciting for our players to go out and do what they love to do and compete in college football.
0: All right. I'm excited as well. Look forward to being with you on Saturday. Thanks, Greg. Always a pleasure to have Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com with us to kind of recap the previous Saturday's college football games. And this this will probably sound kind of arrogant, Adam, in a way. But as I sat and watched games Saturday, I realized how much college football needs the Big Ten. Is that I don't mean again, I don't mean to be arrogant and put anybody down, but the, the college football needs the Big Ten, don't they?
4: Absolutely. I felt the same way. And it's not, that, it's not so, as though the Big Ten has uh, you know, a bunch of top five teams and you know, there aren't you know, really good teams and talented players in other conferences. But it just doesn't feel whole without this conference because of the tradition and you know, the, the, the historically great programs. And, and, and you know, you, you, it's a huge part of the country that's just been missing. And, and that changes this week. I mean, I even noticed you know, both of the first two weeks the Big Ten will have the ABC you know, featured game with, uh, with Michigan-Minnesota this weekend, a little brown jug, and then next week, not a surprise, Ohio State-Penn State, Penn State uh, is a night game. Unfortunately, no whiteout, no fans, but still a great contest there between you know, two potential uh, top ten teams.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be really odd, too, because most of the games being played right now around the country, there are at least a few fans in the stands. It's going to be strange watching these Big Ten games and these big stadiums without anybody there. Let's let's jump back to Saturday. How impressed were you by Alabama? Uh,
4: yeah, it's hard not to be impressed just with the way that they handle adversity. You know, they came off a game where they played poorly defensively and, you know, go through a week where, you know, they, they, they thought they wouldn't have their head coach Nick Saban after his initial positive test, and then he does return, and you knew that was going to provide a boost. But it's still a disruption. And I thought Georgia you know, outplayed Alabama in the first half. Um, it could have been up more points. Um, you know, Alabama fortunate to get that field goal opportunity at the end of the half. And then they, they, they just dominated the second half with turnovers and uh, big plays on offense. I mean, it's just not a whole lot of fun defensively. I mean, you saw you know, arguably the nation's talented defense, most talented defense, had no answers. For you know Jalen Waddle and Mac Jones and uh, and Devonte Smith and Najee Harris, I mean, it just goes on and on with, with that offense. I thought Steve Sarkisian called a brilliant game uh, and and in some ways outcoached Kirby Smart and, and defensive coordinator Dan Lanning in that second half. And this is just what Alabama has done against Georgia. Georgia's Played well enough at times to beat them, but they don't uh, put it put together a full game. And uh, certainly, after the the statements that Clemson has made the last few weeks, uh, yeah, for Alabama to respond the way it did with the most impressive win anyone has had so far this season.
0: You mentioned Mac Jones. Is it time for the rest of us to kind of put him in that elite club of quarterbacks in college football? He was really impressive Saturday.
4: He really was and you know if you watched him earlier this season you could certainly chalk it up to oh well, you know they saved so much better players and, um, and and you know anyone could make those throws but he, he was really impressive it has been uh, you know completing the ball at a high rate he's getting the ball out on time he, he, he's making good decisions um, obviously he, he is surrounded by great talent but he's still allowing those guys to make plays and Uh, You know, you thought that maybe this is going to be one of those years that Nebraska, or sorry, that Alabama gets to the uh, college football playoff. Um, You know, with one of those sort of game-manager-type quarterbacks that they've had in the past, like my colleague Greg McElroy or A.J. McCarron. But it's clear that Mac Jones, you know, what he's done, I mean, his numbers are, are comparable and in some ways even better than what Tua's numbers, Tua Tungabailoa's numbers were uh, for his first few starts at Alabama. So, yeah, very, very impressed with him, the job that Sarkeesian has done with him, and certainly he he deserves a lot of credit. A lot of people thought that Bryce Young, the, the t- talented, true freshman, would, would maybe be the guy this year uh you know mac jones has, has made it very clear that that nobody's uh, taking his position that he, he's the qb1 for alabama and very much on the heisman trophy radar along with quarterbacks like trevor lawrence so uh, you're pretty exciting to see what he's done so far for the time
0: now the the final score in that game is the 17 point spread is can georgia overcome that adam in your eyes and get back into the playoff discussion
4: well, sure. I mean, the way you do it is, is you get to the SEC championship game and you beat Alabama. Right. And I think, I think you know, look, looking at the rest of the West division, it's hard to see another team coming out of there but Alabama. So, you know, if you're Georgia, you get a week off now um, to kind of regroup. And you know, certainly their quarterback, and Bennett, has got to get better and, and they've got to figure out some answers. Uh, offensively and even defensively a little bit. But um, they still have a great chance to get to the SEC championship game uh, with an opportunity to, to beat this Alabama team. And if they do, then they're going to go to the College of All Playoff. We all know that they're probably not as a two-loss team or maybe a three-loss team. So it's still pretty clear for Georgia. You've got to get to Atlanta, and you've got to figure out the answers that have hurt you uh, against an opponent that you've led. It's not like Georgia is mm-hmm. one of these teams that goes in and, and falls behind by 20 and it's over. I mean, they've led Alabama. They've, you know, obviously, in the national title game, they led almost the entire way. Um, they, they were ahead uh, uh, you know, um, in the SEC championship game. And and, and obviously they were ahead at halftime in this game. And so they have to figure out why Alabama is making better adjustments in the game. But it's not as though they're they're stepping on the field and they can't match up at most positions, at least, talent-wise, with with the ties.
0: Again, visiting with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. He covers college football for ESPN.com. Now, Adam, while Bama looked like a playoff-worthy team, Notre Dame did not. Now, I know they won, but what would you make of their performance on Saturday?
4: Yeah, it was it was it was a little bit unsettling. Um, you know, I know there was some weather uh, in South Bend, and it was hard to throw the ball around. But you know, 12 points against the defense that you know ACC coordinators have told me is really kind of a mess in Louisville. I mean, you look at what Miami did to them. You look at what Georgia Tech did to them yeah. with a freshman quarterback and a lot a lot of younger players. And you say, okay, Ian Book, senior quarterback. You're know, arguably the nation's best offensive line, a lot of weapons at running back. And, you know, I asked Brian Kelly about that after the game, Greg, you know, why, why they couldn't make bigger plays overall. and you know, He did point to the weather, and I guess that factors in a little bit from a passing standpoint. And Notre Dame isn't very strong at receiver, uh, at least compared to some of these other playoff contenders. But they're really good at running back, and, and they, they should have been able to, I think, create some more explosive plays against that defense on the ground. And so it, it, is, it is a concern. Then we'll see how they respond here the next couple of weeks but you know that type of performance uh, they're going to get run off the field against Clemson even though their defense played well but we, we both know that, that if they if they score 12 points against Clemson that's going to be ugly
0: yeah be a route all right let's turn our attention to this week you you alluded to it earlier Minnesota Michigan's the primetime game game day is going to be in Minneapolis. Um, I think it's a huge year for Jim Harbaugh, and I know it's the final year of a contract for him. PJ Fleck, a lot of people around the country are saying, Sh- do it again. Show us again that you can do that 10 or 11 win type season. Uh, what, what, what grabs your attention as you look at this matchup?
4: Well, I think it's a much bigger game for Michigan, and that's not taking anything away from Minnesota, which you mentioned had a great season uh, last year with 11 wins. And I talked to PJ last week, and you know he, he's trying to ma- kind of balance, you know, certainly the expectations and and knowing that they have talent there with some of the realities. Today he talked about some players that were going to be out with COVID not mentioning any names, but they have some players who are out. And just everything that, everything that people have been through uh, this year. So I think he, he's taking a kind of a more measured approach to the season. Not to say that Minnesota can't win the game or won't come out uh, prepared to play, but I really do think there's more urgency on the Michigan side uh, because you know, they, we know they still have Ohio State. They still have Penn State left on the schedule. They have Wisconsin as another crossover. So they, they, they have two tough crossover games this year, and a, a Wisconsin team that really embarrassed them last year in Madison. So an 0-1 start, you just know the doom and gloom is going to start uh, very, very, very much so for Michigan. And now it's a big opportunity for Joe Milton, their new quarterback, I think you and I have talked about it many times, Greg. If if Michigan's gonna take the next step and really challenge in the East Division with the way that Ohio State has it going at quarterback right now and the way Penn State's recruiting, they have to get more out of the quarterback position. They're, they're they're good in a lot of places, but they're not elite in enough places to overcome average quarterback play when they're when they're competing against Ohio State and Penn State. So, you know, Michigan has great quarterback tradition. We thought they would be great at quarterback. When Jim Harbaugh got there, they've not been great at quarterback. So it has to start now. And I know there's a lot of confidence within the program about Joe Milton and the receivers and being in Josh Gattis' offense for a second year. Minnesota, this is a defense that was really good last year but lost four four draft picks. So they I think they take a step back. If Michigan can't get it going against Minnesota, it's hard to see them uh, beating a Penn State or Ohio State later in the season.
0: I want to go to the Big 12 next. Big game first place on the line is Oklahoma State plays Iowa State. I know you broke up with Iowa State a few weeks ago. Yeah, we're, Do you back get together. A- we're back Are together. Are you? It, it, okay. It, it, it don't take me back. <laughs> That's good. you give them a chance Saturday? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Big 12 12- – is is really interesting
4: um and i think that this game is really interesting uh, because uh, you know you've noticed i mean we talked so much about defense uh i'm sorry about offense around the country and how the scores are up uh, in, in some ways the big 12 has been more of a defensive conference yeah. this year and both these teams play defense uh oklahoma state um you know they really had to rely on their defense after losing their quarterback uh, Spencer Sanders in the opener. They were fortunate to beat uh, a Tulsa team that also plays pretty good defense, and uh, and, and obviously they they followed up since. Uh, but Iowa State, we we know that John Haycock does a great job on that side of the ball, and uh, and they looked really good uh, defensively against Texas Tech a couple of weeks ago. So I'm really excited to see. You know, just the just the the tactical matchup between these two teams, as as they 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 can play complementary ball, they can run the ball. You know, two really good. Uh, I guess Oklahoma State's using a couple of backs, Tuba Hubbard. Um, uh, as well as another, another back. And then Brees Hall has been terrific for Iowa State here, young running back early this season. So, yeah, it could be defense in the run game, even though I know both teams like to throw the ball and they have capable receivers and quarterbacks. But uh, I, this is going to be one of the more interesting games of the weekend, no doubt.
0: Yeah. One more I want to ask you about, and this isn't Power 5, but it's two ranked teams, and that's Cincinnati, ninth ranked in the country of the Bearcats, going to SMU. They're undefeated, playing some pretty good football. you got to keep your eye on this one a little bit, don't you?
4: Absolutely, and you know, certainly hoping that everything is on track for Cincinnati, which had to postpone its game with Tulsa last week uh, because of some COVID issues, and I was actually really excited for that game because coaches in the AAC have told me that Tulsa is a very good defense. I just mentioned how they gave Oklahoma State a tough time. They beat UCF, so I think it would have been a good test for, U- for Cincinnati, which isn't an explosive offense, to see if they could put up points against Tulsa. Now, uh, they go to SMU, and you know SMU has – a great offense. Cincinnati has a great defense, and so the matchup between those two units is going to be really fun to watch, but it could come down to Cincinnati's offense and SMU's defense to see which one has the edge there. SMU's been a little bit suspect on defense this year. As I mentioned, Cincinnati, uh, not an explosive offense, although I think they get Alec Pierce, their top, top uh, wide receiver, back from a knee injury, so that's certainly good news for Luke Fickle's team, but you know, Cincinnati is the team, I think, to beat as far as the Group of Five and the Golden Ticket, either Cincinnati or BYU. But this is going to be their biggest test. And for Sonny Dykes, this would be a huge win for SMU as they try to win you know, the AAC title for the first time.
0: That's a primetime game on ESPN2, 8 o'clock Central Time kick uh, down in Dallas. Adam, great to have you with us. Hey, what, before I let you go, I know you're a big hockey fan. Were you shocked by the news that Doc Emmerich is retiring?
4: Well, you know, I knew Doc was, was certainly up there a little bit. And it's disappointing just because he's such a great – a broadcaster, and um, I had a chance to meet him a few years ago. I, you know, I'm, I'm a big Blackhawks fan, and obviously uh, loved all of his broadcasts when the Blackhawks are winning Stanley Cups. And then uh, I was teaching a journalism class at uh, Northwestern, and my co-instructor Ed Sherman, who's a great journalist, he wrote the Big Ten history book recently. Uh, actually, knew Doc, and 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 had him come in to speak to the students. And I, I posted on Twitter today. I mean, guys like you and I, Greg. I mean, we're around and we're around athletes and coaches a lot, and I, I rarely get starstruck. But for me, meeting Doc Emmerich <laughs> was pretty cool. That was a pretty cool moment. And so uh, certainly, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate not to hear his voice on these broadcasts any, anymore, but what a career. Uh, certainly one of the best to ever do it. And, and I, was, uh, I was certainly – I'll never forget the chance I had to get to meet him. Just a great guy and obviously a terrific Hall of Fame-level broadcaster.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that because, yeah, I think he's amazing. And to hear that he's equally a good guy, that just makes – that doubles my he respect really for him. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Adam. He, he spoke to the students for an hour I and mean, he, was, he was terrific with his time. So, re- re- really awesome moment.
0: Fantastic. Adam, we appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend's games. We'll talk next Monday. You too. Thanks, Greg.
3: See the game last night?
2: Which game? Any of them.
0: Oh, there's a cat, a, a black cat is taking the field. A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. From the 39 in Dallas, here's a short throw down the middle, caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way, and so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25, near the 24-yard line. They've stopped playing, the players with hands on hips are watching the cat run and zigzag all over the field. Now a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown.
2: Let's
3: check out the highlights. Steven Jackson's David Reggie Miller's looking good
4: he shoots a three and it's good later he gets the rebound passes it to the man shoots it and boom goes the dynamite
0: it's the Weekend Rewind with Ben McLaughlin let's go ahead and jump into
1: another fantastic edition of our Weekend Rewind which as of now will not include Ezekiel Elliott who has fed the carpet monster twice, Greg Sharp, in the first quarter, making bad. Tim a little nervous.
0: That's too bad. It Better start right. throwing it. They, they just probably put this game in the hands of Andy Dalton. <laughs> right. Give it to the Red Rocket.
1: Nothing could ever go wrong.
0: Let's jump into some of the finals this weekend,
1: starting first with the scrimmage that was Clemson and Georgia Tech, the first-ranked Tigers. Oh, boy. 73-7. to 7. And Greg, I don't know if you were watching, but at one point, this was a 7 7 ball game. Yeah. So if you're doing the math, in. that is a 66 unanswered point run for the Clemson Tigers. Trevor Lawrence, decent day's work 404 That's- yards, five touchdowns.
0: As we were picking this game Friday, everybody's was like, well, Clemson might sleepwalk through this a little bit. Yeah, that didn't happen at all. They sleptwalk into
1: the end zone time after yeah. time after time after time. Yeah, that was some serious muscle flexing is what that was on the road at Georgia Tech. To add a little salt in the wound of uh, Atlanta sports fans this weekend, how about the home team losing by 66 points to the Clemson Tigers? Ouch. Brutal. All right, let's jump into what was on paper was the game of the season between third ranked Georgia, second ranked Bama and Tuscaloosa. Great game it was for a while, but as expected, the Bama offense just too much.
0: Two wives to the near. Now Farrestol comes to the right side of the formation. Here's the snap. Matt looks end zone up. Goes Devontae. Touchdown. Wow. yards. Unbelievable catch for Devontae Smith.
1: Pro throw from Mac Jones. Great catch from Devontae Smith. 11 catches. 167. Two scores for Smith. Four scores for Mac Jones. 41-24. Bama wins it. That offense, man, that's on another
0: level right now. Those wideouts just stress you so much and Georgia's got A terrific defense. If that's, I mean, God, that that was impressive what Bama did in the second half. I really thought at halftime Georgia was the better team. Then Bama put the the hammer down in the second half. They sure did. 41-24 the
1: final. It was a rock fight between Louisville and fourth-ranked Notre Dame and South Bend. Louisville comes back to take a 7-6 lead. Ian Book gets a touchdown scramble in the red zone. To give Notre Dame a 12-7 lead, and that was a final scoreless fourth quarter, 12-7, crazy,
0: crazy, crazy final yeah. there. What did you do? You watch any of this, and what's your take? Yeah, I did. Not a good look for the Irish. They slept, walked through this game, and it's about style points at some point in time, and they did not show much there at all. They won, still undefeated, moved on, but they're going to have to play a lot better than that if they want to get the voters' attention, the committee's attention, to being a playoff-worthy team. Yeah, no doubt. Well, uh, yeah,
1: 12-7 over a a one-win Louisville team and a a winless in the league Louisville team certainly not going to help. Looked weird having a a number five, a little number five, written next to North Carolina's name all week. Thankfully for us, it didn't stay there very long.
0: From the Tar Heel 12-yard line, clock ticking, 27 seconds left. Jordan Travis takes the snap, wants to throw, looks toward the end zone, flushed out of the pocket, Blitzer coming, runs to his right, keeps his balance, throws across the rim. It's a caught ball. Touchdown, official. Touchdown, Cameron McDonald. The Knowles and seven before halftime. What a tremendous throw by Jordan Travis to an open tight end. It's 30-7. 30-7,
1: tack on the PAT, 31-7, but 21 unanswered for the Tar Heels to make it a game. But Florida State goes and upsets North Carolina 31-7. Twenty-eight. How about that? That is a you know, you're talking about tough a loss pro- for the Heels.
0: Yeah, and you're talking about a, a program that needed a win and a shot in the arm like that at Florida State. Uh, they've stumbled and bumbled their way to start this season. That's a big win for Coach Norvell. Maybe that'll tick that program, uh, get them on the uptick, but that was a huge program win for them. And for Carolina, uh, people were kind of poking last week, they're ranked fifth in the country? Really? They're not. They're not that. And I think that showed Saturday night. Yeah, definitely not a good look. For
1: them, as uh, as they drop that that one too, North Carolina improved to three or fall to three and one. North Florida State now one and three in the ACC. Back to the SEC we go. Eleventh ranked Texas A and M on the road at Mississippi State. As to be expected, A and M's offense had a little bit more in the tank than the dogs.
3: Brown, the lone receiver to the right. Kellen in the pocket, throws across the middle, that's complete, Chase Lane, first down, much more, 35-30, 25-20, 15-10, up the right sideline, Chase Lane is in for a touchdown, yes, 51 yards, Chase Lane and the Aggies answer.
1: One of just two catches for Chase Lane in this game, but a big one, Aggies win at 28-14, ugly game here, man, it was... Mond only throws for 139. Good day for Isaiah Spiller on the ground for the Aggies, 114 and two scores. And Mississippi State uh, looks at looking like a bit of a farce, Greg, through four
0: games. Wow. They're kind of mumbling about Mike Leach. Yeah, he did great that first week, but it's been stumble, stumble, stumble since that victory over LSU. Uh, it hadn't been pretty. a ms a good, solid football team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. And uh, they get a nice win there. All right. Moving
1: back to the ACC pit in Miami, a pit without Kenny Pickett, and this was a big loss. Had they had their starting quarterback, they may have done a little bit better against Miami. It was only a 12-point win for the Canes, 31-19. Their backup quarterback, Joey Yellen, well under 50% with a completion percentage, 277 and one score. No no necessarily errors for him, but not the
0: same thing as
1: the
2: Canes get –
0: a decent win there, and uh, and move to four and one. Man, what's happened to Pitt? Goodness gracious! Yeah, Kane's probably a little sleepy, groggy after the Clemson game the week before, but got her done. Did all right. Back to the SEC a couple more times. This time in
1: Columbia, South Carolina, things got really testy in the Gamecockville between the Gamecocks and the Tigers of Auburn, and South Carolina tried to pull the
2: upset. First and goal for the Gamecocks. Harris left side. It's Got a touchdown. Up to five. That's it. Touchdown, yeah. Carolina. Touchdown, Kevin Harris. Second of the day from eight yards out. Pick Harris. What's that give you? Boom. Touchdown, Carolina. It could make it 27
0: 19. Well, let's check if they go for one or two with 54
1: seconds to go in the third. Harris plows in from eight yards out, and South Carolina would have just enough. To hold off Auburn, 30 to 22. Man, Tigers two and two, and not a great late look for Bo Nix, 24 of 47. Greg, and it was clear that Shai Smith was just ripping apart Auburn defenders all day long, and a big, big, big win for
0: South Carolina. Will Muschamp, that game was um, contentious. They Ooh. were shoving and pushing around the whole game. Somebody in our our crew on Friday picked that upset, but. That was a good win for South Carolina to to knock off Auburn, who is really spinning their wheels. They sure are. Uh, You know who's really spinning their wheels? The Tennessee quarterbacks.
1: Garantano throws two pick sixes on back-to-back possessions, and Kentucky runs away with a 34-7 victory over the Vols. Vol fans, as you would expect, not happy right now.
0: You know, um, that's a program that just can't quite get it going, and – there's another example. Home game, rival. Can you get beat like that? That's embarrassing. Yeah, not 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 a
1: good good week in Knoxville. All right, back to the ACC. We're playing ping pong between these two conferences. Thanks to the Big Twelve not having any games. Boston College and Virginia Tech. Uh, this one. Not really that close as Va Tech rolls over BC 40-14. to And more good days for the Virginia Tech running backs. Hendon Hooker, 164 yards and three scores as Vatech gets a nice bounce-back win after narrowly uh, coming back and beating uh, a week ago North Carolina uh, after a crazy comeback. So 40-14, the final score there all right let's jump into some nfl action from the weekend and it was a wild day around the league starting first with one and four houston against four and zero tennessee deshaun watson and derrick henry throwing haymaker at each other but in the end it was king henry that ruled supreme
0: five-yard line nope. henry henry breaking free 20 25 off to the races Catch him! They won't catch him! Touchdown! Tennessee.
1: 94 yards for Derrick Henry. You see him at six foot three, two hundred and forty pounds, and you assume he's just this bulldozer, but then you forget that he can outrun an entire defense. Two hundred and twelve yards and two scores. He scores the game winner in overtime.
0: Tennessee remains undefeated. That guy is a freak show. Did you see Deshaun Watson's reaction after the coin toss? Yep. He's like, it's over. They're going to go score touchdown. It's over. We're not touching the ball. It's a flaw in the NFL game, and I can't believe they haven't fixed it after all these years. Well, they haven't fixed it because Tom Brady wasn't
1: the one affected by it. If, If Patrick Mahomes wins that coin toss in the AFC Championship game in 2018, we're not having this conversation, Greg. You know that. Fair you, know po- that's, you know that's fair, right. Fair point. Fair point. The guy pushing the buttons on the on the, on the the dials here would disagree with us. But let's go ahead and move to another interesting game between Cincinnati and Indianapolis. Bengals up 21 nothing, but that's just when Phillip Rivers thrives. He throws three touchdown passes with that wet noodle of an arm, 371 yards. Colts come from behind and win it 31-27. Thanks in large part at the end to the Colts defense. No surprise.
0: Coro standing in over the middle, intercepted, picked up by Julian Blackman, tripped up at the 22,
3: and the turnover for Cincinnati, should for the Indianapolis Colts.
1: That guy sounds familiar, 31-27, Colts improved to 4-2, and oh, that's another heartbreaker if you're Cincinnati, 21-zip and you blow it.
0: Yeah, you can't, you just can't let leads like that get away in the National Football League. Colts are what, 4-2 now? And you just don't get a feeling it's a very good team, but yet they're finding ways to win games. Yes, they are. Sorry, Austin. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't mean man. to make that a dig. It just kind of came out that way. Yeah. Falcons and
1: Vikings, two now one in five teams as Atlanta gets their first win. How about that? Even 10 points in every quarter. Atlanta wins at 40-23. Four scores for Matt Ryan through the air. A couple of Julio Jones fresh off an injury. Vikings one and five and back into
0: the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Well, no comment on Minnesota. It, they're they're a mess. The Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. He's going to he's going to be a Jet. Ooh,
1: that's a fun place to be,
0: huh? Yeah. The Vikings okay. are. The Vikings have out. The Vikings and Coach Zimmer need to part ways. It, it's over. It, it's run its course. He had a great run. The, the, the message is getting lost with him. Mm-hmm. Message also
1: lost in New England as the Broncos go on the road to Foxborough and beat the Patriots with all field goals. Brandon McManus kicks six field goals for Denver. That's all they needed, 18-12 to 12 winners over the Patriots. That's that's a shocker.
0: That's, yeah, that, that is. The Patriots Patriots are not going to win that division. I'm, I'm going Buffalo in that division. The Chiefs now go to Denver, so they get back-to-back road games. Um which is a little odd, but it's kind of the way it works. So the Chiefs will be in, in mile high, and now Denver's got a little mojo behind him after winning that game. They'll be fired up, and ready to welcome the Chiefs on Sunday. That's right. Um, pillow fight between the Washington football team
1: and the New York football Giants. Washington scores uh, a touchdown late. Riverboat Ron elects to go for two. Sloppy two point conversion is no good, and the Giants get their first win. They
0: are now one and five. So congrats to those people. Off the snide. <laughs> We had a we had a buy-sell question about would somebody win fewer than 4 games in the NFL. That's going to be a slam dunk. You might have four teams not get the four wins. Yeah. Could be a could be a handful. That that's, a, that's that's an ouch division right there is what that is.
1: The Ravens do their best to blow a game against the Eagles. They let Carson Wentz who in the Eagles. How about the Eagles having minus 7 yards of offense at the 2-minute warning in the first half. Minus 7 at the two-minute warning in the first half, but they score 22 in the fourth. The Baltimore does hold on, thanks to Lamar Jackson and his legs. 30-28, to 28, the final. Eagles fall to 1-4-1 on the season to further our point that the NFC East is garbage.
0: <laughs> Who's going to win that stinker, stinking division? Dallas, they're going to have six wins, and they're going to win the division. You think? Dallas. You think yeah. Dallas is going to get to six? Okay.
1: I mean... Okay. They're going to they're gonna have to play some of these other teams in their division. Somebody has to win them. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Browns and Steelers, this wasn't a game. 38-7. to seven. Good night, Cleveland. Uh, I, I asked Ian Friday night if they were legit. Uh, every time I think Cleveland's on to something, they, they do something like this. Uh, I don't know that Pittsburgh's 31 points better than them, but they sure looked that way on Sunday. I've been saying for weeks Pittsburgh is back and Big Ben's leading the way. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't have a great game. 162 yards and a touchdown, but didn't need to. Bears beat the Panthers, thanks in large parts of their defense. They get a couple of huge stops late. Bears win at 23-16. Bears at five and one. Who the heck saw how this coming? about company? that? Good gosh, really? Yeah. I don't. I, and I don't know how good they are. Their defense is really good. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't know that they're that great. They can't get anything going on the ground either. Lions and Jags. Detroit wins at 34-16. Dolphins beat. The winless New York Jets, 24-0. And the Jets are full fire sale mode right now. They're getting rid of anybody and everybody uh, that that people will take. It is not good, Bob, right now for the Jets.
0: Did you see who made his NFL debut in that game? It was Lamar Jackson. No. Yeah, yeah, late in the game, that's right. And then and he came he- out after, the, after everybody, the game was over for a while, he came out and he sat on the field just to soak it in that he played in an NFL game. That's cool. Good for yep. him. Um, that was
1: one of two evening game, or afternoon games. The other was in Tampa Bay, and, boy, this thing was an utter bloodbath.
0: Brady lofts it. Gronkowski. He's got it for the touchdown.
1: First touchdown is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer for Rob Gronkowski. Five catches, 78 yards. They put... Aaron Rodgers buried that man in the turf all day. That was a brutal, brutal game for the Packers offense. 38-10. to Packers don't go down and score. Rodgers does his little key and peel celebration in the end zone. Then he's ruled short, and that's where the good stuff happened for Green Bay as Tampa Bay just gave him the people's elbow
0: for their first loss. Yep, knock another one out of the unbeatens. We still have a handful of unbeatens left in the league, though, Ben, even with the Packers going down yesterday. Yep, couple left. And then we'll finish it up Sunday night. Niners beat the Rams
1: 24-16 as San Francisco just grinds away at that clock all night and they take down the Rams. Let's jump to Major League Baseball. A couple of CSs to Woo-hoo. finish up. A couple of game sevens starting first on Saturday with the ALCS and a name you haven't really heard of on pace for ALCS
0: MVP. Now the 2-2 pitch. Swing and a drive. High in the air. Right center field. Springer to the wall. It's gone. A two-run homer here in the first for Arena. And the Rays have a 2-0 lead in game seven.
1: Randy Arena. everybody's household name, right? Major League Baseball, two-run bomb. Tampa Bay, thanks in large part to the right arm of Chuck Morton. Uh, dominant over the Astros, 4-2. And they nearly blow it, but they able to hold on and advance themselves
0: into the World Series. I think most of baseball was applauding that, right? I mean, nobody wanted the Astros yes. back in the series, so everybody's fairly pleased that Tampa Bay has made it second World Series in history for them, correct? I think it's the second yeah. time they've been in the series? Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully things go a little better this time. But what a
1: series it was wrapping up last night on the NL side between the Dodgers and the Braves. It was like a heavyweight fight, blow for blow with solo home runs. But the last one was a belly bomb. And boy, did he get all of it.
2: 23rd pitch, Bellinger with a fly ball to right field. Cody Bellinger has just given the Dodgers a 4-3 to
0: three lead.
1: And the- that man has so much swag, it's ridiculous. An absolute bomb to right field pops his shoulder out of place with a celebration uh but the dodgers don't care as they hold off the braves four to three just three hits for atlanta dodgers dominant in game seven and they earn their ticket into the world series with
0: winning three straight over the braves that's amazing cody bellinger pops his shoulder out celebrating the home run hopefully that's okay he may need surgery after the season ended for that little deal I was pulling for the Braves, to be honest with you. Did you see them run themselves out of an inning? It might have been the fifth inning. They had second and third, nobody out. Chopper to third. The runner on third dashed home, gotten a rundown. He gets tagged out. The guy at second, I think, was Austin Riley. Late break to try to go to third. He gets tagged out. So they ended up getting nothing. Well, I think they had scored one already in that inning. But that could have been a big inning. It could have been a crooked number for them. And that is just. That is routine baseball running, and they just completely botched that in a game seven. Huge, sure did. Wow.
1: Um, yeah, obviously the golf tournament happening in Vegas. Xander Shoffley does not win; he falls yeah. two shots back. Unfortunately, uh, twenty under was the winning score
0: Co-crack. in Vegas. Yeah, hadn't really heard of that guy, but good to no. know. His first, that was his first PGA win. He's been a fairly solid player, but it just had never won before. Xander Shoffley hadn't played great. Tigers playing this week. This is—this was supposed to be their Asian swing, the CJ Cup that was this weekend, and then this next weekend, Zozo Championship or something. But because of COVID, those tournaments have been moved to the U.S. Tigers going to be playing again. Ben, we're like three weeks away from the Masters. The Masters. How about that? Love That's it. gonna be bizarre having that on that
1: week, isn't it? Yeah, and then we'll finish it up with a fight, right? Teofimo Lopez, yeah. easy victory over Lomachenko. Scorecard pretty tilted heavily to Lopez, and uh, yeah, pretty pretty dominant effort
0: there for Lopez. I fell asleep. It didn't start till after like ten thirty, and I I like dozed off, and by the time I woke up, it was over. So I, I, followed, I
1: followed the scorecard. I didn't watch the fight, but kind of followed the scorecard as it went. Didn't appear to be that close.
0: Now, is either one of those guys a possibility for Terrence Crawford? I You would think. I right? don't know. It was uh
1: I mean I'm Crawford's already done that a fair amount of times, right? Shifting up and down and and, and moving himself around. I know his next fight is coming up in November in Vegas.
0: So Yeah, he hasn't been in the ring for a while. It's time for Bud to get out there and fight again. Yeah. Very good. Good weekend. Cool stuff. We are back. Sports timely Monday night. Time for us to name our weekend winners. Ben. Yeah. uh,
1: Unfortunately, this wasn't over the weekend, but I found out this story the weekend, and he's definitely got to get a shout-out. Kyle Burgess who was running in Slate Canyon, Utah, earlier this month. Oh, yeah. Stumbled upon a mountain lion. And there's a six-minute video of the mountain lion stalking him. He's he's basically runs into the thing and starts walking backwards and trying to scare him off. And it is utter pandemonium. I mean, it lunges at him. It's, it's hissing at him the whole way. And he handled it beautifully he i mean he used a lot of colorful language as i think most of us would in that situation but he recorded the whole thing um and eventually the thing ran away but six minutes man could you imagine being stalked by a mountain lion for six minutes and having that thing charge at you like it did a couple times if oh man so shout out to that guy for getting that mount for surviving that because that's not a good situation uh,
0: it's it's a spooky video you go look for
1: it all right tim yeah i got a couple weekend winners uh, one of them of course uh, m- my uh my beloved tampa bay tampa tom tom brady absolutely dismantled the green bay packers who looked near invincible before that i also found gronk uh for a td that's not bad stuff also julio who i bagged on in the fans football podcast finally woke up eight catches 137 yards and two tds
0: that ain't bad. I will take it. Probably not enough to get over kills and blitz, but <laughs> I'll take it. Very cool. Austin.
4: Weekend winner for me is Corey Seager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He was named the NLCS MVP, helping lead the Dodgers back from down 3-1. to one. Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts will get a lot of the headlines, but Corey Seager was really the driving force of that big blowout. Had just a triple shy of the cycle in three innings he got hurt he's really bounced back and he's kind of just one of the guys now he's not as big a name because of all the big names the Dodgers have but I was, I was happy for Corey Seager to see him get that NLCS MVP
0: yeah cool I mentioned this during the, the rewind to a Viola who got a chance to finally get into an NFL game and then he goes out and sits on the turf at the Hard Rock Cafe Stadium in Miami, after the game had ended, just to kind of soak it all in. Good for him, and a tip and a cap to Doc Emmerich. retiring from the NHL. No, great, one of the greats behind the mic. For Ending on the Lightning win. How about that? Yeah, he knew that it couldn't get any better than that. That's Sports right. Oddly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Thanks to Ben, Tim, and Austin. Have a great night. Bill Moose Show tomorrow night here on Sports Island.